Tonight's scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 7 through 10. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight's big idea is love debt. Just like John said, we're going to talk about debt. We're coming back into our Money Talks series, and we've talked about all different types of things from tithing to giving an offering of our whole lives to the time that we spend, the money that we spend. And tonight, we're going to step into an awkward conversation about debt. But before we do that, or to kick us off for that, I want to show you uh, The New Yorker. This is one of my favorite reads every week. And this week, you might notice, there's a good, there's good cultural linguistics in The New Yorker. Um, like the cover here, Oscar's so white, even the minority Oscar trophies can't get into the party. See that? Because it's Oscar Sunday tonight. So they're always trying to speak into culture, take little jabs. Uh, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's really not funny like this one, where they're trying to make a statement. But something interesting popped out of me this week, actually this morning, as I was reading an article in The New Yorker. Um, it was about Peter Adeney, otherwise known as, the, otherwise known as Mr. Money Mustache. Have you all heard of this guy? So Mr. Money Mustache is a 41-year-old Canadian expatriate living in Colorado. In Colorado, he lives with his wife, where he has been retired for over a decade. He's 41. He's been retired for over a decade. They had normal jobs. They didn't strike it rich. But they lived on just half of their income and saved the rest. Now, if that inspires you to think into what their plan was, I encourage you to read the article. It's available online. I shared it on Facebook today if you want to get it from there. Or pick up the magazine. But I want to leave you, I want to start with one quote from the story tonight. Um, you can find this a lot if you read much uh, newspaper articles, if you read many magazines that are talking about culture. You see the gospel everywhere. And I was reading and found very great biblical truths right here in this article. He says, um, after talking about a time when a bike was robbed from him, but he realized that he could afford to lose the bike because it had given him all that he needed you know, and it was time for a new bike. He said, he concluded, if you can't afford to lose it, you can't afford to buy it yet. Otherwise, the object owns you rather than vice versa. The object owns you rather than vice versa. From this, we jump into our discussion tonight regarding debt. What Mr. Money Mustache proposes here is not just wise, 
or good practice in your finances. It's also biblical. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Now, a book of Proverbs is full of little nuggets of wisdom. And listen to what the writer says here. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, these are generally not promises or commands that we find in the book of Proverbs, but rather they're things to live by. Taken together, they give us insight not only into the character of God, but also into the way that God's people should live. And from this verse, we get our first point, playing off of that quote where the idea that a thing that you purchase could actually own you. Point one tonight, as we talk about the love debt, is that debt is slavery. Debt is essentially renting money. So follow me on this. It is, for the purposes of this illustration, like telling Visa, if you give me $1,000 right now, I'll give you $40, or whatever the minimum payment is, every month for the next 71 months, totaling $1,511.35. That's at 18% APR. Some credit cards are actually higher than that, as you know. In other words, I'm renting $1,000 from Visa for $511.35 over the course of about six years. I'm enslaving myself or indebting myself to their terms for 71 months. Now, for years, people have debated whether or not the Bible condones slavery. And since we're talking about debt being slavery, I'm here to tell you today that the Bible does condone slavery, but it might not be like you think it does. In fact, the Bible had very clear guidelines for slaves and masters in the Old Testament, and when Jesus came to fulfill those laws, he taught his followers those laws' true meanings. So when someone could not fulfill their financial debts in biblical times— they would be required by law to enslave themselves to their debtor. Now, this is what tonight we'll call just slavery, right? Or or good slavery. This is, not entirely, but in some ways similar to our current model of work and wage, right? So an employer gives you a promise of a salary. In exchange, you promise to work for that paycheck. In essence, you have indebted yourself or enslaved yourself to the employer. But there is, of course, also unjust slavery. In the Bible, an example of this is Pharaoh's unjust enslavement of the nation of Israel. Remember, Israel came into Egypt as an invited friend. Joseph was at top dog with Pharaoh. And since the famine was in the land where Joseph's family lived, Pharaoh told Joseph, bring your whole family here and I'll give you land. They were invited into Egypt. But after that, Pharaoh died and after some years passed, the new Pharaoh saw the nation of Israel growing. And they they were not growing only in size but also in strength and he feared that Egypt might be taken over. So what did he do? He unjustly enslaved an entire nation of people for generations, over 400 years. Now, I understand if this talk of slavery has you a little uncomfortable. It should, 
because the talk of slavery in our country still stings. Right? For generations, Africans were taken from their homeland unjustly. There was no debt owed. There was no wage promised. They were violently used to build a society, listen to this, that they were to have no benefit from. Even today, after many years of freedom and decades of equality as the rule of land, there are still many open wounds our country burns from as a result of this terrible injustice. I want to make this clear distinction as we begin the discussion of debt in order to be clear as to what I mean when I say debt is slavery. I do not mean unjust slavery like Israel faced or like African Americans. I do, though, mean real slavery. But since our culture has this wound, we tend to only think of slavery in one light. I think it's important as we look to the Scripture in order to correctly understand what the original meaning was and how that has authority over us today that we understand the gravity of the terminology. So usually when you're talking about money, you don't get that serious. But this is serious, as serious as just slavery, not unjust slavery. So there's now, uh, when we take debt out, we are selling ourselves into slavery. There is now an obligation that we have to pay back what was given to us. For the sake of time, we won't get into whether or not you believe the credit industry in our society is corrupt or whether they take advantage of the poor or the uneducated. I think, simply put, there's no doubt that that is at least somewhat true. However, I would like to closely look at the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Rome that Gina read a moment ago. He's in the middle of a discussion about how a Christian ought to live in the midst of a society that is corrupt and takes advantage of the weak and vulnerable. Right? These are Christians living in Rome where similar types of corruption existed. It's from this launching point that we seek to understand how financial debt, listen to this, can have an impact on our relation to our community, to strangers, and to God. Our financial debt can have an impact on these relationships. In today's scripture passage, verse 8 proclaimed, Owe no one anything except to love each other. First, we saw that when we owe others, we are enslaved to them, right? So debt is slavery. Point number two tonight takes us one step further, though. It understands some of the um, ramifications or the effects of this slavery. Point number two is that debt interferes with doing God's will. First things first. So just as there are different types of slavery... There are also, as you might imagine, and as you probably have come to know in your personal life, different types of debt. Now, we're not going to go into a full Dave Ramsey description of debt, but I would like to highlight at least two different types of debt. The first kind is the kind that you can pay off completely at any time. Now, we'll call this good debt, or at least okay debt, all right? So this is when the item that you have gone into debt to purchase has enough value to cancel the debt that you incurred to purchase it. For example, 
you buy a house for $200,000, and you put $20,000 down. You didn't buy that house in New York City. <laughs> but also, <laughs> if, you can resale, if you can resell that house a month after you move in, or 10 years after you move in, for at least $180,000 and cancel out that debt, then that's most likely good or okay debt. Now you also still need to be able to make the monthly payments because that's where the oh, no one, anything comes into play. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Suffice to say, the kind of debt you can pay off completely at any time is good or okay debt. But there's another type of debt that I know well. Some of your smiles tell me you know it well also. And that's the kind of debt you cannot pay off completely at any time you wish. We'll call this bad debt or really bad debt. (laughs) This is when the item you've gone into debt to purchase does not have enough value to cancel out the debt you incurred to purchase it. So think of putting a TV on a credit card when you're not able to pay more than the minimum payment. I understand you may put a TV on a credit card to get the points and pay it off completely on the first month. That would be the first kind of debt because you incurred debt that you could pay off completely at any time and you chose to do that. That's good. That's fine. Um, But when you can't pay anything more than the minimum payment or it all off at once, in the long run, you end up paying significantly more for the TV than it was worth. Think of you paid $1,511.35 for the TV because you rented it basically for 71 months. At the end of those 71 months, that TV is three TVs ago, most likely. Um, Bad debt is when we have taken on debt to pay for depreciating assets. This is why almost every financial advisor advises against financing new cars. Why? Because as my dad always told me, the second you drive it off the lot, it loses value. If you drive off the lot, turn around and come back and say, I want to trade this in, you're not going to get what you just paid for it 30 seconds after you bought it. It's a depreciating asset. So, as we talk about debt interfering with the will of God, I want to make sure we all know that I'm talking about bad debt. Even though sometimes good debt can get in the way. Does that make sense? Um, Having debt, number one, can halt our giving to the poor. Having debt can halt our giving to the poor. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. If you, I'm sorry, if among you, one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within the land that the Lord God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. When we have shackled ourselves to debt we cannot pay, then we are not in a place to give to our neighbors who are in need. Since as Christians we are to give to each as they have need, we should never put ourselves into a position that we know we will not be able to give to someone in need when that need arises. Obviously, this story has a poor person, and that is not to suggest that only lending is righteous. The only one that's righteous is the lender, and the poor is wicked. That's not true, but it is to teach us that we should certainly not sell ourselves into the slavery of debt 
if it is going to pre- prevent us from being able to provide for our neighbor. So first, um, debt can interfere with the will of God by halting our giving to the poor. But it goes farther than that. It can also prevent us from giving to the church. It is typical, at least of Lindsay and I, just as a side note, in this great article in The New Yorker, the guy says it's really embarrassing to wear, to be seen in your financial underwear in front of everyone because he writes a blog about his personal finances. As I was typing this, and I have a few stories in here about Lindsay and I's finances, I thought that's really true. It's, it's difficult to talk about your finances because you're going to see me in my financial undergarments tonight. And that's uncomfortable. But... Listen to the type of teachings that it can provide. Having debt can prevent us from giving to the church. It's typical of Lindsay and I to be more apt to default on our commitment to the Lord and his church before we default on our rent or our credit card payment or our car payment. Now, this seems to affect our credit score a little less when we default on payment to church which is probably in some terribly justifying way why we do it. But it takes great discipline to give of our first fruits in the first place. But that discipline compounds in difficulty many times when we are carrying bad debt on our shoulders. So it can halt our giving to the poor. It can prevent us from giving to the church because we feel like we have this baggage of debt that we must pay. But also, having debt prevents us from properly caring for our family. Listen to Proverbs chapter, 30, chapter 13, verse 32, 22. Excuse me. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's grandchildren. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Having bad debt can keep us from stewarding the blessings that the Lord has given us for our family. Essentially, if I take on bad debt for something in order to receive immediate entertainment, gratification, or luxury, I am being a poor steward of what God has given me. I am saying to my children's children, my comfort and my pleasure in the here and now is more important than taking care of you. It could be that I'm saying to my spouse or to my children even, my comfort, my enjoyment, my luxury, my pleasure is more important than taking care of you. In all three of these bad effects of debt, the way that it interferes with God's will, the poor, the church, and our family, selfishness drives us to rob from those whom God has blessed us to bless. Selfishness has driven us to rob from those God has blessed us to bless. When we spend money, we do not have who we are cho- we do not um, excuse me. When we spend money, we do not have who we are choosing to neglect in our mind. We have ourselves in mind. Although Lindsay and I didn't spend time breaking them down. Debt can also affect us in very practical day-to-day ways. 
such as if you have bad debt, this could cause a spouse or yourself to have to work a second, or lo- a second job or longer hours, which affects the family negatively. Um, it could cultivate a culture of covetousness by putting others, putting on to others that you have more than you do. I'll say that again because I confused myself when I said it. It can cultivate a culture of covetousness by putting on to others that you have more than you actually do. You're, you're cultivating others to look to you. Look at the things that I have when you don't have any right having those in the first place. It can also continue to help us do more and more gratifying of the desires of the flesh. So since we have these fleshly impulses, we just take on bad debt to gratify them. And there are many dangers in that. We'll talk about one in a minute. But Lindsay and I have had several times in our marriage when we were in what I would consider to be a lot of debt. <clears throat> a significant amount of debt. We have at times had over $10,001 bills in debt, in bad debt, credit card debt, the baddest kind of bad debt there is. And on at least a couple of occasions, owned vehicles when we lived in Houston that we couldn't afford the monthly payments of without sacrificing some of the three things I just mentioned, the poor, the church, or our family. It wasn't that we had discussed with one another how great our friends' cars were and how much we wanted them. Or it wasn't that we had been intentionally trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, by purchasing new things all the time, new electronics, new living room furniture. That's mine and hers, if you were wondering. <laughs> our heart issue was gratifying the desires of the flesh. When we wanted something, we bought it whether we had the money or not. In a letter to the church in the city of Colossae, Paul explains that a mark of a Christian is that they are continually putting to death what is, what is earthly in us. And he lists sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So we were consistently sinning by idolizing the things we did not have. Follow me in this train of thought. We had, in our insecurity of not having what we wanted, that made us insecure. We didn't have what we wanted, so it made us insecure. We had become a slave to wanting more. This is not something that only followers of Christ notice. I hope we know this. Our culture notices this. I was listening to the new album by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis this week. And they had a fantastic line in the opening song of the album. I don't endorse everything that is said in the album, but this line is fantastic. <clears throat> it's, it's almost prophetic about America. It's really simple. He says, This is America, and insecurity is our fabric. We wear it and renamed it fashion. This is America, and insecurity is our fabric. We wear it, and we rename it fashion. What he's saying is what I just said. We will l- sometimes literally clothe ourselves in our insecurity because the actual clothes that we have bought were bought out of insecurity while incurring bad debt. We will clothe our homes w- in insecurity. 
The song chronicles, the, the whole song chronicles Macklemore's uneasiness with our culture's insecurity. He's talking about his own, the things that he sees in himself and that he sees in the culture that we dress up. We dress these things up as confidence um, with our fake musings and our materialistic addictions. And while we know that Hollywood may be the flashiest perpetrator of this, Lindsay and I had, in our covetousness, found our security in things that fade and break. We're still tempted, almost daily. I say had, Lindsay's probably thinking, I'm going to tell him you should have been saying have. We're still tempted, almost daily, to become slaves to our own desires instead of serving Jesus, who gave up all that he was given in order to pay the debt of death that we owe because of our sin. So, after you come to a place that you have recognized this, if that story I told is indicative of your story also, the first thing you have to do is know that you're in debt. Now you have some decisions to make, though. You're probably facing many of the same problems that we discussed before, about insecurity, about maybe not being able to give to the poor or the church or provide for your family with investments or savings at all. So what do you do now? Point number three. Stop the flow and pay it back. Stop the flow and pay it back. Neither one of these work without the other. By the way, we've tried it. It didn't work. We tried stopping the flow and just paying back minimum payments. That doesn't work. We've tried paying back more than the minimum payments but keeping the flow going. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to do both. Stop the flow and pay it back. So in order to begin climbing out of debt, we have to first confess the sin that has gotten us there. That's why I went through that anthology in my, in a, in my head out loud with you. How we, I realized why we were doing these things. It's because this sin had crept in of insecurity and covetousness, right? You can name that sin. Talk about it. Confess the sin, whether it was idolatry or covetousness or insecurity um, or all of the above. Maybe it was something completely different but I encourage you to discover what has caused the problem. And for those of you who are not in debt and are about to check out now that we're saying how do you get out of debt, I encourage you to still do similar reflection in order to understand how it is that you process your desire for the things that you do purchase in a good way. You may purchase them without taking on bad debt, but still be thinking about the way that you desire those things. So, here are a few practical things you can begin doing immediately, right now as you sit here, if you find yourself in debt today. First, recognize that there are some things we can afford monetarily, but you can't afford them spiritually. John alluded to this in the big idea. The best example I have to this is unlimited cell phone data. If you remember the time when AT&T stopped offering this as a service, Several years ago, I and several of my friends were grandfathered in. We could have unlimited data forever. Some people are shouting for joy because they still have it back there. Initially, I held on because I thought that it was a wise financial decision. Why would I pay a little less or the same amount of money for a limit on data when I can use as much as I need? I thought. For all intents and purposes, I could afford it until I had a change of perspective. I began to notice that because I had unlimited data, I would what? Use it. 
this negatively affected my relationships. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my work, and most of all, my relationship with my spiritual walk. It was before I had kids. Instead of reading scriptures in the morning or in small free moments throughout the day, I was surfing the web, watching videos, constantly checking the weather. The list goes on. I had failed to recognize that even though I could afford this monetarily, I could not afford it spiritually. In order to stop the flow, sometimes we have to recognize what we can't afford spiritually. We also need to recognize that sometimes we cannot afford this. We, sometimes we have to realize that we cannot afford things that we purchase. Even if we can't afford it monetarily and spiritually, it could be that we shouldn't spend the time we will need in order to give this purchase value. So maybe you wouldn't be able to afford it spiritually. But maybe you say, spiritually I'm good and monetarily I'm good. But sometimes we forget to analyze the time. We may buy a video game console and realize we have no time to play video games. We may buy a motorcycle and realize I have no time to go riding. We may buy skiing equipment and realize I have no time to go skiing. A couple of those maybe were mine. Next, we need to begin paying the debt off. The mountain can seem insurmountable, but in order to get to a place where God's will is not being interfered with means getting serious about attacking the debt we have. I'm not a professional at this, as you've heard. But there are professionals out there, and if you want some resources, check your email on Tuesday night. Connection Church is going to send an email about this sermon with some practical things you can do, some resources to get out of debt. But I'll tell you one that worked-ish for us and one that I know works for a lot of people. It's called the debt snowball. You guys heard of this from Dave Ramsey? It's simple. First, you list your debts. Then you pay the minimum amount on all the debts except the smallest one. On the smallest debt, you pay every available penny you have in the month to it. When that one gets paid off, you take that minimum payment plus all that money and you pay on the next smallest. And it snowballs. By the time you get to the end... You're paying incredible amount of money each month on the biggest debt. So he says that's a great way to do it. I encourage you to check it out. But at least start to shift your mind to think that this mountain is big enough to climb. But I have to stop the flow and I have to pay it back. Understanding that it has very practical ramifications to my spiritual life and to the people around me whom God is giving me this money to steward in order to bless. Number four. Your love debt is truly fulfilling. This is something that we have to realize. A lot of this talk deals with paying off creditors and resisting new temptations of material treasures, which we know we're not supposed to store up anyway. While we know the saying, money can't buy happiness, we certainly do not as a whole live like we believe it. I've even seen new ways of saying that, you know. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a new car. Which is just an advertiser's way of saying, yeah, I've realized that people think money can't buy happiness, but I can tell them that it actually does buy this car that they really, really, really need. We care, we, 
we care continually efforting to fill our lives. We take care to continually effort to fill our lives with the things that we think will make us more efficient, healthier, happier, even though we know money can't buy happiness. And Paul's strikingly simple advice to the church in Rome and to us today is to remember that we are to owe one thing. One thing alone. Love. Paul reminds us that the law, which is what we owe in order to receive love or acceptance, has been fulfilled. So the things that we owe to get love and acceptance from God, those have already been paid. That's the good news of the gospel. It's that even though we owe this great debt to our Creator because we have sinned by placing ourselves in charge of our own lives, the beauty of the gospel is that we can live in freedom even though we have this huge debt. The debt is not slavery, but it's freedom by faith in Jesus Christ. This debt was not paid by our efforts. This is important when we think of this whole freeing from slavery thing. We sang it a moment ago. Jesus paid it all. We could not lay out a plan like the debt snowball to tackle the highest interest sin first. We can't appeal to our stellar credit record or most recent raise in order to gain a higher credit line in this debt that we owe. The debt was paid when Christ became the payment. And his display of love taught us to seek our emotional, spiritual, and physical security in him. My misplaced insecurities were misplaced because they were not found in Christ. His display of love freed us from the slavery that our sin sold us into. When it comes to paying down the debt of love we owe, Jesus makes it simple. Gina read it earlier in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Actually, she didn't read it. This is the part she didn't read. The best part. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make the provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The only way we can pay the debt of love we owe is to put on Jesus. To love one another is a debt that will never fully be paid. We're going to wake up every single morning. Every morning we will wake up and we will meet this debt. It's not going away. However, unlike the enslavement of our bad financial debt, this debt is freeing. Just as our stashed financial advisor... Mr. Money Mustache, Peter Adeney, just as he has, help, has found and helped thousands of others find liberation in the art of living within their means, the gospel gives liberation to those who live within Christ. When we put on Christ, the debt of love we owe to others frees us to live to be the best version of ourselves. The version that places our neighbor's needs in front of our own, that turns the other cheek toward frustrating coworkers. The version that loves the unlovable friend by listening to their problems with compassion. 
The version of us that's free to give to the poor because we have not highlighted our insecurities. We haven't made them into fabric and put them on and called them fashion. Jesus' love frees us from the hatred of others. Debt is slavery. It interferes with our ability to do his will. If you are in bad debt, stop the flow. Pay it back. Do it tonight. Make a plan. And as you are faced with the daily sacrifices required to stop the flow, remember that your love debt is truly fulfilling. You may not be able to buy that new electronic device. You may not be able to go shopping when you get off work. But you know what you do have? Eight million opportunities to love one another. People from all over the world walking around you in the greatest city on earth. And that should free us as followers of Jesus. You are free to find fulfillment. You are free from finding fulfillment in temporal things because Jesus has given you fulfillment in eternal things. The love that you show to your neighbor, that's eternal. The love you show to yourself when you purchase something on bad debt is temporal. You're freed from that. You don't have to love that. You're free to love eternal things now. And I'll close with this. When God's people live debt-free, bad financial debt, when God's people live debt-free, Scripture is obeyed. Giving to the Lord's work is assured. Contentment is experienced. Tensions are eased. And finally, freedom is enjoyed. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have shown us a way to live debt-free. That you have given us practical advice in your word and through wise people around us that can teach us to be freed from the desire and from the need that we feel to fill ourselves with temporal gratification. Thank you for giving us Jesus who frees us to think eternally with the way that we spend our time, our money, our wisdom. And I ask that tonight you would encourage and motivate many people in this room to become the debt-free so they would be unleashed on this city to love people in extravagant ways. God, break our hearts so that we would not be robbing from those whom you have blessed us to bless. Give us boldness to pay our debt off to stop gratifying the desires of our flesh. 
and give us faith because we lack it so often in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.